We're back in a new home, bigger and better than ever. Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a podcast I created for parents raising black children. I'm your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. And this season, I'll be talking with parenting experts, people in my parenting community, and many incredible parents about both the job and the joy of parenting. I'm so excited to share that my new season, starting July 6th, will be on the iHeart Seneca Women Podcast Network. I started this podcast two years ago with the mission of bringing tips, advice, and tools to parents and caregivers raising black children. And now, thanks to your interest, dedication, support, and reviews, we are an award-winning podcast about to move to a much bigger platform, giving this ground control parenting village lots of room to grow. If you're wondering what this changes, aside from having more support to reach out and share with you, well, you'll see more episodes this season. There will be relaunches of some favorite archived episodes with updates from those guests and tons of new episodes featuring people I know you will love to hear from. Other than that, you can expect the same host, same vibe, conversations full of parenting insights which we can relate to, learn from, and be inspired by. My new season's main theme will be parent wellness. We've been through a lot, and we are still going through it. As we concentrate on keeping our families safe and physically and mentally healthy, it is so important that we make sure we're taking care of ourselves as well. I'm thrilled to say that my first guest of the season is former Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. I spoke with Keisha about how she focused on her own wellness in her decision not to run for a second term as mayor, despite all the positive political winds blowing her in that direction. You've talked about your decision not to run for, your, for re-election as a decision to step back and protect your peace. It's such a wonderful way to describe that need. And you've also talked about how, as women, we don't often stop to adjust the S on our chest. I mean, we just keep going. Can you talk a little bit about how you've come to find how important it is to protect our peace as, as Black women and mothers and, and how tough it is for us to do that? Oh, gosh, it's so hard. There are so many expectations that are placed upon us and this belief that we really are superhuman. Mm -hmm. And in many ways we are, but the reality is, is that we all have capacity. We all have a, a limit. And I've heard people say, you know, 2020, the great resignation. I think it's a great reevaluation. And for me, that's what it was. Like, what do I want? How can I be my best? And so to have this dream job and then admit to myself, I no longer wanted it. Mm -hmm. I, it was difficult to admit it to myself, but also difficult confronting the disappointment that I thought so many other people would have. But again, mm -hmm. going back to 2020, when you're watching so many people die, there was just so much confronting us. And, and I just had to have this really honest conversation with, with myself and with my family about how I felt. I knew that mm -hmm. I could do it. My poll numbers were close to 70%, which is pretty unheard of for a, a mayor, mm -hmm. an urban mayor. I was raising money. The president hosted a fundraiser for me. I knew I could do it, 
But, you know, again, what do you tell your kids? Just because you can do it, that means you should do it. So I knew I had done what I set out to do as mayor. And for me to run again, I would have to have that, that same desire and energy and a completely new agenda for the next four years. Or I could say voters get to decide every four years. Guess what? I get to decide too. (laughs) There's a reason this is a four-year term. So walk out with your head up. With walk out with with the list complete, put a period on it, and then um, anticipate what the next season will be. And that's what I chose to do. As Keisha noted, it's important to take time to check in with ourselves to evaluate how we're doing. It's really important to do this with respect to our physical health as well as our mental health. Finding ways to prioritize both will serve us all well. To help us with this, in the upcoming season, I talk with one of the nation's leading obstetrician-gynecologists, whom you may have heard on Michelle Obama's podcast, Dr. Sharon Malone. We had a conversation about how parents can get the best care possible at the doctor's office for both themselves and their children. So one of the things that stop a lot of us from going to the doctor, aside from not having a lot of time, I mean, you know, making the time to do it, is the the way that we feel unprepared for the visit. Are there any ways that we can kind of take some of that edge off going to see a doctor, particularly if it's not for some scary thing we're worried about? Are there any kind of standard questions we should be asking? Is there information we should be coming away with from our doctor's visits that just will empower us to feel like we're doing something more for our health? Well, yes. Um, I, you know, I'm going to give you some very concrete tips for how to make the most of your doctor's visit because it's bad and it's gotten worse in terms of the amount of face time that you actually get to spend with your doctor. Mm-hmm. I think there's more and more pressure on the medical community to get people in, to get them out. With trying to do the electronic medical record, you find that you go in to talk to your doctor and your doctor is spending time looking at a computer screen and not talking to you. You know, so there are things that you say, if I have limited amount of time with my doctor, how am I going to be efficient with that time? And the first thing is to, and this is just for a wellness visit, you know, not for a problem, mm-hmm. you know, be prepared. And by that, I say, you know, that most doctor's offices, you know, have websites where you can go to. And if there's paperwork that needs to be filled out, fill out your paperwork ahead of time. And it gives you an opportunity while you're at home to think about the things that you forget when you've got five minutes to fill out a form in a doctor's office. You'd be surprised. So you're talking to someone and they'll go, oh, oh, I oh, yeah, I did have that surgery. And you're like, you know, (laughs) you go in to do a pap smear and there's no cervix, you know, and you're like, well, what happened here? Oh, I had a hysterectomy. I didn't tell you that. You know, so if you take that time offline, do all your paperwork, gather up all the information that you possibly can and have that done ahead of time, then everybody's ready to go. You're not, Mm -hmm. you know, starting from a deficit. I want to really go deeper into what parenting looks like and what it takes these days. I asked the powerhouse activist and author, Jody Patterson, to join me in conversation this season about finding the joy in parenting when our realities in life can make it hard to find. A lot of parents I know are not joyful these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine that that is not just true to this time, but that there have been 
all throughout time where parents have not experienced joy throughout the process of parenting. But I want to, and I want to look at that. I want to stick to, I want to talk about mothering because it's what I know best mm-hmm. um, as a mother of five mm-hmm. um, and also being raised by great mothers. I, a lot of this conversation I um, codify into mothering. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if we, if we look at what mothering has represented and the definition of the, the current definition of mothering, I think a lot of people would not find joy in it. Mm. The current definition of mothering is um, task mastering during the day, mm-hmm. um, you know, assisting others without recognition throughout <laughs> the day, um, being the, the, the computer system for all of these people and their activities, right? Mm-hmm. Having all the answers to best friends and schedules and doctors and school applications. And so those things are important, but those logistics are not to me fundamentally what mothering is. It's just what the adults collectively do. Mm-hmm. But if I want to redefine mothering and I think we'll find a lot more joy in that process once we redefine it as leadership. Mm. And for me, when you talk about mothering, you're talking about the intentional building of people. And so I think it is time to start redefining mothering. In that sense, we will redefine parenting. And in that sense, we will find joy in a process that has been totally bastardized, I think. Mm -hmm. I know we're going off topic, but like when I was thinking of Pinnell, I actually had to, when I had to figure out how to raise my son who was transgender, I actually had to stop a lot of the taskmastering I was doing as a mom. I didn't have time to do all of it. So one day I literally, this is funny. I literally pretended I could not cook anymore. <laughs> I didn't, I couldn't do it. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know. And my, guess what? Dad started cooking every day. He's never stopped. The father of Danielle is now a, a, a devoted chef and cooks lots of meals and goes, has gone into his African heritage and, you know, build delicious meals. But I had to stop doing some of the um, task mastering so that I could puzzle out mm-hmm. the meaning of what Pinnell was trying to teach me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you ask about joy, I think who would be joyful to have the job of what we've just said is mothering. Like it's just not a joy. It is the, sometimes I feel like it's the bottom of the bottom, but that is not the true meaning of, of mothering. The true mm-hmm. meaning is something that is powerful and it is joyful. And I hope that we get a chance to experience it um, as people. Not only is it rewarding to the society, true mothering, but to the individual who is mothering. As we have in all seasons, we talk about how we were parented and how that impacts our parenting. As we embark upon our own parenting journeys, the ways in which we were parented creep into our psyche and even our actions. For better or for worse, how we were raised impacts our individual approaches to parenting. I was able to sit down with the fabulous, award-winning actress Lorraine Toussaint, who's a parenting blogger herself. She walked me through her tough journey as a young child in Trinidad, whose mom worked as a caregiver in the United States. I saw my early childhood as um, being a small animal, earning the right to be human. I certainly had none of the rights or the privileges that I've given to my daughter. Mm-hmm. I certainly wasn't seen as um, having civil rights, human rights, <laughs> <laughs> any rights, in fact. Um, no, not at all. I, I grew up under the British system. Mm. And in in a in a sort of a very traditional 
middle class Caribbean way, mm-hmm. which meant um, you children were seen and not heard. You did as you were told. You didn't interrupt. You didn't have even your own thoughts. You didn't have rights, really. Lorraine talks about her determination once she had a child to create a new model of mothering. Everyone that had parented me, my my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, all of the women that were put in charge of me along the way were all doing the very best they could. If they knew better, they would have done better. That's my job to figure that out, heal that, let that go, and celebrate the parenting that I did have, which was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. good, the bad, and the ugly. All of it were integral parts of the human being that I am now. See, that last few sentences is exactly why I so love talking to you about this, because it's exactly right. So many people do things, the wrong things, with the best of intentions. That's Mm -hmm. actually, because of my own experience with that, that's why I started doing a podcast. I had loving parents who did the right things, the things they thought were right, smart people, but they just got some things wrong. Mm -hmm. And just as we will get some things Mm -hmm. wrong, but... The difference is when you when you can think about that, which a lot of people don't, and then try to heal it in some way in yourself, it just makes you a better parent so that whatever your 30-year-old child's going into therapy for, it will be more easily uh, resolvable than each generation mm-hmm. will have less to do. One quick thing I, I want In this upcoming season, we'll hear from business leaders about their parenting challenges and solutions. I talk about parenting across generations with Edith Cooper and Jordan Taylor, a mother-daughter team who've co-founded Medley, a coaching platform for personal and professional development. Jordan, who's in her early 30s, shared her views on balancing work and family. Jordan, I'd love your perspective on how your peers are looking at the integration of work and family. I mean, you are relatively new to the work world as one who was growing up professionally where you were afraid to think about how your family interacted with work. It just seemed like they were opposing forces. Carol, that's very well said. Yeah. 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 And, and, and now I, I, I like what I am seeing and, and hearing, but, but what is it like in the ground? Is it really a new day where everybody's on the right page of, of giving family the amount of time it requires? It's inconsistent, Mm -hmm. I would say. And it depends on the industry. It depends on the individual situation. But I mean, you know, just for context, I'm 31. I don't have any kids yet. I hope to at some point. My mom had me when she was 28. She was almost Mm -hmm. 29. I have a few friends with kids, but most with very, very new kids or some who are have, have, are pregnant mm-hmm. now. And most of my friends are 31, 32, 33 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that's just immediately distinctive about my generation is people are having kids mm-hmm. later. And I would say that, you know, this, this integration, this tension between family life and having children has really been accelerated. And the challenge has been accelerated by COVID over the past couple of years, where it's especially challenging to set boundaries and to manage a separation between work mm-hmm. and home. And so, you know, I, I think that Many workplaces are certainly becoming more supportive uh, and recognizing the importance of appropriate family leave when kids are born, you know, flexible working so that people can navigate childcare and navigate spending time with their kids. But at the same time, you know, I have a close friend who 
works at a public company and she was disclosing to me last week when I saw her, she's had her first child, how frustrated she's been because work's been taken away from her the second they found out that she was pregnant and she's off. She's now on maternity leave and is so frustrated because she feels like she's being falling behind. And so, you know, while I do think that there is improvement and that there is a moment now where companies are certainly trying to be more uh, supportive, Mm -hmm. more flexible and more accommodating Mm -hmm. for young Mm -hmm. parents, I still think that there are some challenges, especially for women, um, just navigating, uh, wanting to be number one in every, in every arena, which just isn't possible. Right. Right. It's not. Carol, could I just make a comment uh, following up on what Jordan was saying? First of all, it's impossible to be number one in everything all the time. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. And so I think that's a really important thing for people to think through and define for themselves, like not a point in time, uh, what one feels like, but as a continuum and mm-hmm. how you think about things in totality, um, but not in isolation. The other thing that I think people should recognize, and, and I see it, I see it now, that reality of how we've all lived and worked and, and had the opportunity to live and work in a blended way, because for so long, many people were working from home also has its challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can tell you, I was I was on a board call and there was a presenter on a topic and it had been an outstanding topic for, for a couple of months. And so it happened to be a woman. It could have been a man, but it happened to be a woman. And she began her presentation and bursting through the door was her uh, six-year-old who had been locked in for COVID uh, and had had the first return to school um, in months. Mm-hmm. and was so excited. And we were so excited. We were like, oh, this is so great. You know, don't worry. Go play with Johnny. Take time. We can mm-hmm. we can do this another time. She's like, no, 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 no. Please. I really, I, I like, I've been working on this presentation. I, I like, just give me, like, just, just give me a minute. And in that moment, I realized that, you know, she wanted and needed to prioritize this presentation mm-hmm. and doing a reschedule for her would have been very disappointing for her. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, instead, you know, he interjected and said, hey, you know, why don't we just take a five minute, we can move one of the things. I was a chair of the committee. I said, we can move one of the topics from the end to the next, you know, 15 minutes mm-hmm. and we'll see you in 15 minutes. Does that work? And she was just like, yeah, that's great. But that's not an easy thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the engaging with your six-year-old in the minute knowing that he doesn't have the same time stamp of 15 minutes, but it was better than rescheduling. And so I think there's a lot of learning that we all have to do as people around, you know, the fact that we still do need these boundaries and what that looks like. And it's not just, you know, about sort of um, being tolerant. It's about really, you know, being thoughtful and intentional around, you know, the, the fact that we all as humans, as parents and professionals and friends and spouses need to figure out a new formula. And we need to have a little bit of patience with the time it's going to take to do that. I was so thrilled to have Walgreens Boots Alliance's chief executive officer, Ross Brewer, one of only two black women CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, join me in conversation this season. We spoke about all things wellness 
and I asked Roz to describe how she uses her favorite mantra as a tool for staying calm and focused in times of stress. In a conversation with uh, Dr. Mary Schmidt Campbell, you talked about emotions down and facts up, <laughs> which I thought was a great, a great thing. Can you just explain how that how that works for you? That seems like this great mantra for keeping your calm in a crisis. <laughs> yes, you know it's um, it's one of those things where you know when you get into these jobs at this level, there's a lot that could hit your head and your heart at mm-hmm. the same time and things that could anger you to no end, right? There, there are disparities, there's unfair work practices, there's comments made. And I think if I were to respond to each one of them way, I would, you know, <laughs> let my emotions do. Um, it wouldn't be good for anybody, myself or the person on the other side. So, you know, but I, it, you know what, Carol, that came with training and maturity mm-hmm. to make sure that I would, you know, kind of go with head first, watch what comes out of my mouth, keep the emotions down, go try and blow off somewhere mm-hmm. else. And I say that a lot to young women, because, you know, what I love about this generation we're raising right now, you know, they are natural agitators. And I actually wish I had, you know, a lot of the energy and the, you know, self-esteem to, you know, in terms of the way they organize themselves. But I've been, you know, trying to teach them from a social justice standpoint, how to organize your thinking. If you're going to boycott or picket or protest, there's a way to go with facts first and leave your emotions aside, because I think active protesting is absolutely a fine way to get your ideas across. But I, you know, this, you know, ideas up, emotions Mm -hmm. down is really critical for our young people. They're much smarter than we ever were, Carol, during our time. Um, You know, they're exposed to a lot more knowledge. I want to see them apply that knowledge and get the results that they deserve, that they fill in their heart and their chest Mm -hmm. every day. Um, But they've got to bring facts up and emotions down. That is so great. And when I saw that, I actually thought it was a great mantra for parents as well, because often when you're approaching a a problem with your child, if you can keep your emotions down and get the facts first, and as you said, blow off somewhere else, you can actually get to a better answer pretty quickly. (laughs) Exactly. It does play well with parenting. And I think that's where, you know, I probably learned that skill more than anything is, you know, dealing with crisis with, with the kids and with their schools and things like that, you know, you want to be heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes when uh, the emotions high, the kids aren't listening, they shut down, fear rises and they're not listening. Mm -hmm. And so to get people to listen, you have to engage and and calm down and people will listen and you'll get the results. All of my guests have so much wisdom to share and do so candidly, vulnerably, and with a really healthy dose of humor. I'm really looking forward to sharing these conversations with you, as I know you'll learn so much more, not only about each guest, but about the ways in which we can all be the best parents possible while evolving ourselves as individuals. There are even more guests you'll be thrilled to hear from when you join us on our new season, launching on July 6th, in our new home, the iHeart Seneca Women Podcast Network. Be sure to tune into new episodes of my weekly podcast starting July 6th. I can't wait for you to hear them. Until then, take care and thank you so much for listening.